0: This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor.
1: Hello, friends. Would you like to hear an amazing fact? Bugs normally do not live a very long time but there are some exceptions typically a housefly lives for about 28 days female mosquitoes live about 50 days the males only live about 10. a typical house spider can last for about a year whereas a tarantula can live up to 25 years a queen ant can live up to 15 years cicadas live underground for 17 years but about five weeks after they emerge, they make a lot of noise, procreate and die. The award for the longest living bug belongs to the queen of the eastern subterranean termites, which are found in the United States. The queen can live up to 50 years, and incredibly, during this time, she can lay as many as 20,000 eggs per day in her peak time. That's why if you see one or two termites around your house, uh, you better search and destroy them right away they can multiply very quickly.
2: Well, Pastor, I'm like talking about, well, first of all, something that can multiply as much as this uh, termite. But living for 50 years, that is amazing. You don't think of bugs living that long.
1: I know, and they, when you look at them, the queen is, you know, uh, 50 times bigger than all the others. Her abdomen, it's got a little head like the rest of them, uh-huh. great big abdomen, and I guess they c- she can't move. They just feed her and feed her, and she just lays the eggs and... uh must be something in what she's eating. Makes her last <laughs> right. a long time.
2: <laughs> amazing. 50 years. Yeah, exactly. You don't want one of those hanging around your house for 50 <laughs> years causing problems to your house.
1: Yeah, they, that's why colonies can grow so quickly. And I don't know if you've ever had termite problems before, but uh, sometimes by the time you realize you've got a problem, I saw one or two termites. I thought, oh, they must be swarming. I wonder where they're coming from. Well, they were coming from inside our wall. Yeah. It's a lot easier to take care of these little things while there's still little mm. And and that's how it is with sin. You know, if we start uh, giving in to a little temptation, you know, I was addicted to smoking for years. It started with one cigarette and then it just multiplies from there. And in many things in life, it's so much easier to deal with a weed when it's little before it turns into a tree in your yard. So uh, some people might be wondering, well, do little things really matter? They do. Even if you have become entrenched in some habits that are destructive. You know, God's power is available to help you get the victory over those things, even if you do have a whole colony of termites, so to speak. Uh, Someone said once, uh, what's that quote about? um,
2: Yeah, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become habits, your habits form your character, and your character determines your destiny. And it starts with the thought. That's right. That's right. So, If you see
1: any termites around your house, take care of them. And if you see little temptations or indiscretions in your life, you want to deal with those right away. And we have a free book we'd like to make available that deals with one of the most practical questions that uh, every Christian has is, how do I deal with temptation? The devil's there every day and how do I resist?
2: We have a book. It's entitled Tips for Resisting Temptation. It's practical. It tells you how you can claim the promises of the Bible. We'll be happy to send this to anyone. It's free. All you have to do is call the number 800-835-6747 and ask for the book. It's Tips to Resist Temptation. Mm -hmm. It's offer number 708. And we'll be happy to get that in the mail and send it to anyone in North America. Now, if you're outside of North America, you can still read the book simply by going to the Amazing Facts website. That's just Mm -hmm. amazingfacts.com or .org. And we have a free library there. And you can actually read the book right there online, Tips for Resisting Temptation. Well, Pastor Doug, we probably need to let our friends know. We'll maybe mention this at the end of the program. But uh, this coming Friday evening, Uh, We're going to be having a very special program, a series of lectures Mm -hmm. dealing with Bible prophecy. It's called Panorama of Prophecy. It's going to take place Friday evening, Saturday evening, and Sunday evening. Right now usually we do our radio program, but Mm -hmm. next Sunday evening we're going to be doing something special, especially for those who usually tune in live. We won't be doing our regular program here, but we will be broadcasting this special series And it's time's going to be a little different. We're going to start at 7 p.m., as Mm -hmm. we always do for Bible Answers Live, but then it's actually going to go a little bit longer. And this, again, is for folks watching on on, uh, live stream or YouTube, wherever, uh, Facebook. It's going to end at Mm 8.30. And you can be looking at some really important prophecies of the Bible. We're going to be taking Bible questions during this program inspiring music. So people don't want to miss out on that. And that's going to probably continue for the next four Sundays. Mm -hmm. And we'll be broadcasting that in place of Bible Answers Live
1: special program Panorama of Prophecy if you'd like to know more about it then you can simply go to the panoramaofprophecy.com website Mm -hmm. is it Panorama of Prophecy we encourage you to register your home group if you want to invite people over or your church and this is going to be on uh, it's going to be of course Amazing Facts television it will be on Three Angels Broadcasting it'll be on Hope Channel all around the world and all through this week the program's going to be advertised on Fox News as well as on the History Channel. And so this is Big Friends. Panorama Prophecy can be coming from uh, the Word Center here in the uh, greater Sacramento area. Plan on tuning in, and that'll start Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday and uh, you'll see a little change in our program for the next, uh, what, four weeks.
2: And of course, Pastor Doug, for those who are listening in our area, maybe you are in the Sacramento area, who you can come out and join us. We're going to have a live audience. It's going to be at 7 o'clock on the 15th of October. That's Friday. And then again, Saturday evenings, Sunday evenings. We'd love to come and meet. Maybe we haven't met you yet. And come out and Mm -hmm. join us if you're listening right here. Look us up online. It's at the Amazing Facts facility right here in Granite Bay. Now, if they want to do a question tonight... Uh, we are streaming
1: live on Facebook. It's simply the Amazing Facts Facebook page or the Doug Bachelor Facebook page. You can watch the program there. You can watch it on Amazing Facts Television AFTV. And we are inviting you to call in with your questions as well. The number, if you have a Bible question, is 800 god Says. That's 800-463-7297. Maybe we should pray and get to those questions.
2: Let's do so. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you once again for the opportunity to open up your word and study together. And Lord, be with those who are listening, uh, not only here in North America, but around the world, Lord. And we just ask that you'd lead all of us into a clearer and a full understanding of what the Bible teaches. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Pastor Doug, we're going to go to our first caller this evening. We've got Peyton in Virginia listening. Uh, Peyton, welcome to the program.
3: Hey, pastors. Thanks so much for being there.
2: Ah, Thank you for calling.
3: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My question actually comes from Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, um, where it refers to a flaming sword which turned every way. And my Bible refers me to two places in Psalms and Hebrews, um, which talks about ministers being a flame of fire and angels turning into spirits. Um, Could you guys help me unpack this?
1: Yeah, well, we'll do our best. Uh, That is a good question. You know, it talks about an angel with this this sword, this weapon. There are a few other places in the Bible where it talks about angels having swords. You've got the story in Ezekiel where these angels of God are given these, they call them destroying weapons, to punish those that do not have this mark of God. Uh, You have the story where a destroying angel, maybe where they get the idea of an angel of death, going through the land of Israel, there was a plague. And David sees an angel with a drawn sword above Jerusalem. But this is different. You make a good point here, Peyton. It talks about a flaming sword. And um, these are Shekinah. uh, These are not Shekinah. I'm sorry. These are uh, seraphim that are guarding the way to the gates. And um, I think it's a unique
2: verse. You know, sometimes angels are described as being dazzling, bright, glorious. Mm -hmm. Um, Gives you the idea of almost a flame or a fire. Uh, associated with, you have a description of the sanctuary and the very presence of God there on the Ark of the Covenant. talks about the Shekinah glory shining forth, mm-hmm. the, presence, the visible presence of God. And there were these two covering cherubs, these angels right there in the presence of God. So you get the idea of God's glory. And even the glory that is manifest through angels is being bright, dazzling. And here we have an angel with a flaming sword guarding the way to the tree of life.
1: Yeah. You know, I remember we did a a video, if you ever want to see it, friends, Amazing Facts, did a video called Cosmic Conflict, talking about the war in heaven and how Lucifer fell. And we struggled when, what do angels use in weapons? And we ended up giving them something that looked like flaming swords. When we got done, it looked like Star Wars a little bit. (laughs) So it's hard for us to sometimes imagine what that was. But the idea was it was warning that there would be judgment on Adam, Eve, or any of their posterity, that tried to go back in the garden mm-hmm. after the flood, the garden was, we assume, caught up to heaven, and it certainly wasn't there anymore. But up until that time, it guarded the way to the tree of
2: life. Okay, thanks for your call, Peyton. We've got Samuel listening in Wisconsin. Samuel, welcome to the program. Maranatha, Jesus. Pastors. Evening,
3: Samuel. Thanks for calling. Uh, Second Corinthians, chapter nine, verse eight. Okay. I've seen we can't make it to heaven by good works, but on faith and grace alone that God has blessed us in all things, all things, pastors. In that verse, it says we cannot make it to heaven by works alone. It's through faith and grace.
1: Mm-hmm. So are you wondering what that means? Um, it, we're, Of course, we're saved entirely by faith. And you always have the story of the thief on the cross who... And um, you know, on the final moments, he said, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, you'll be with me in the kingdom. That's exhibit A of a person who's saved just because they turned to Jesus and asked. He did not come down from the cross and do great works of charity or th- philanthropy. Or, But when a person is saved by grace, we're born again. We love the Lord. We want to do good works. So after a person is saved, if there are no works, you question if the heart's been transformed and they believe.
2: Mm -hmm. It's something we refer to as works of faith. It's a demonstration of faith. And of course, James gets into this, if you read the book of James, and he uses Abraham as an example. Mm -hmm. He was saved by faith. He was accounted righteous because of his faith. And yet, his faith was um, what led to obedience, even Mm -hmm. to the point where God said, you know, you need to offer your son as a sacrifice. He was willing to do so because he believed. He had faith. And then, of course, James makes the point, faith without works is dead, but let me show you my faith by my works. Mm -hmm. So it's not the works that saves us, but there should be a demonstration of our faith if it's real faith.
1: Yep. Amen. Does that help uh, address what you were thinking there, Samuel?
2: Yes, pastors, with great clarity, and thank you for your great work that you continue to do for all of us. Well, thanks so much. Appreciate your call. Next caller that we have is E. Frank in New York. E. Frank, welcome to the program.
3: All right, uh, Pastor uh, Doug and Pastor Ross, um, I have a question about in regards to the Book of Revelation. uh, I have a feeling that maybe I might be incorrect in regards to to what I'm going to ask, but is it uh, uh, credible to believe that prophetic events in our point in time are correctly defined by Revelation 14? In other words... Uh, is Revelation 14 relevant to the point in time that we are in prophecy according to the book of Revelation?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, and uh, in a word I'd say yes. Uh, The reason is if you look in Revelation 14, and so we're wanting to know how relevant is Revelation 14 to what's happening in the world today. You look in Revelation 14, and when you get to, uh, what verse is it where he said, uh, yeah, verse 14, Revelation Mm -hmm. 14, 14. I looked and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud one sat like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and a sharp uh, sickle, and he's coming to reap. This is talking about the return of Christ, and so if Jesus is coming, whatever's happening in Revelation 14 verses, you know, one through six. Uh, These are things that happen immediately prior to the second coming of the Lord. So that's very relevant for today.
2: Yeah. You know, if you look at the whole chapter, it's really divided into three sections. As Pastor Doug said, starting in verse 14 through to the end of the chapter, you have this symbolic, prophetic picture of the second coming of Christ. It's coming to reap the harvest. There's two harvests. The harvest of the wheat, representing the righteous. The harvest of the grapes, representing the wicked. And then just before you find that, starting in verse 6 of Revelation 14 through to verse 13... You have something called the three angels' message. And these three angels' messages have to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And they really prepare the world for the harvest, for the second coming of Christ. And then the first few verses of Revelation chapter 14 from verse 1 to 5 is a description of a group that we read about called the 144,000. And they're the ones taking this three angels' message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So it's all connected and it's very relevant for our time, especially the three angels' messages.
1: And it contrasts in chapter 14, one group's got the mark of the beast and it pronounces plagues on that group that stays in Babylon and the other group, 144,000, they're among those who have the seal of God, mm-hmm. not the only ones, but they have the seal of God. So 14 sort of, it's, it gives a a picture, It's sort of uh, crystallizes the big issues in the last days
2: and we have a lesson on that, don't we? We do, we absolutely. Uh, does that help you, Frank? You know, we do have a study guide that I think you'll really enjoy. It's called Angel Messages from Space, and it gets right into the three angels' messages of Revelation chapter 14. We'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. All you have to do is just call the number 800-835-6747 and ask for Angel Messages from Space. It's all about the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. It's part of our Amazing Facts study guide series. And if you'd like to ask for the whole... It's free. We'll send you the whole series. You can sign up, and it will be a blessing. Okay, next caller that we have is Joy listening in Missouri. Joy, welcome to the program.
3: Hello. Thank you very much. I've been trying to get a hold of you for a few weeks, and I'm always off time. But tonight I got in. I just want to know, do pets, our puppies, our kitties, have salvation?
1: Well, we're so thankful that your call got through tonight. And uh, so I guess I could summarize by saying... Um, Will our pets be in heaven? And, you know, we get that question a lot. Uh, our friend Steve Wolberg wrote a book on that because uh, it's such a common question. You know, all of us have uh, animals. How long have you had your parrot?
2: You know, it's we not have a parrot. parrot, is it? We did have a parrot, yeah, an African gray. He actually died a little while ago, but man, he, we had him for 30, 40 years. They live a long time.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. But you get attached.
2: You do get attached. Even though it's a little loud. <laughs> you do get, well, your cats and your dogs. And yeah. I don't know if you can get attached to a 50-year-old termite, but I mean, you do get attached to a lot of animals <laughs> that live a long time. Yeah,
1: and you develop relationships and you think, you know, is there any hope that we'll see them in the kingdom? Yeah, I, we can't, we've got to be honest to the word. We can't show you a scripture that says you're going to see your your animal in heaven. It is interesting that, you know, God God spoke through a donkey. As a donkey that was spirit-filled, and God uh, delivered bread through ravens to uh, Elijah, and uh, you know a little another donkey rode Jesus, or Jesus rode this donkey into Jerusalem. So you've got animals with some special roles in the Bible. Uh, you don't want to be that serpent that uh, was possessed by the devil. Um, nothing is too hard for the Lord. And where is it where Paul says the eye has not seen, the ear has not heard? Neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. So it's entirely possible God would surprise us and say, for you, you know, it's not a universal resurrection of all animals, but for you, I resurrected your pet, you know, your dog or your cat that was your friend for years. He can do that. I promise no one will be disappointed when they right. get to heaven.
2: We also know there will be animals in heaven. The Bible speaks of animals in the, um, well, in the Garden of Eden, there were animals. There's right. going to be animals in heaven In the new earth speaks mm-hmm. about animals. So... Yeah, if it's not uh, you know your exact dog, I'm sure God's going to give you a dog that's very similar, if that's what you know is going to make you happy, and you'll be delighted. Amen. So um, the verse you're referring to is First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine. It says, "Eyes not seen, nor ear heard, neither even entered into the heart of man, the things that God is preparing for those that love Him." Amen. So there's the promise. Thanks for your call, Joy. We got Richard listening in uh, Arizona. Richard, welcome to the program. Good evening. Evening. How you doing?
3: Doing wonderful. Hey, uh, last night you guys were talking uh, about the 144,000, and then you mentioned King David, and uh, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher and bones is with us unto this day. Mm -hmm. I was wondering where you got the bones at, because my Bible doesn't say that.
1: Well, uh you know what if we said bones uh i probably was quoting the scripture from memory and inserted that and i apologize you're right it doesn't say bones it it does say that his tomb is with us to this day let me read the verse it's acts uh, chapter 2 verse 29 men and brethren let me speak freely to you of the patriarch david that he is both dead and buried his tomb is with us to this day so the tomb uh, it says David is with us. His body was in the tomb. I assume his skeleton was in there. That was a common practice for Jews when they uh, someone died. They'd often uh, uh, the body would uh, be reduced to a skeleton, and then they'd put it in an ossuary. And that was the bones, is what they put in there. Now, uh, an example of that, real quick, would be. When Elisha died, they put him in a grave, and it says they lowered a man down onto his bones. So that was a common practice for the Jews. So I probably inserted that word, quoting it from memory, and I apologize.
2: Does that help, Richard?
3: Yeah, it, well, it doesn't really fulfill the answer about the, hundred, the whole 144,000, no. though, because my Bible says they're redeemed. That means that's a past chance. That's not a looking-forward tense.
2: Now, I'm just wondering about the 144,000. I think the group that we were talking about at the time was, or at least one group that's been mentioned, is what we call the special resurrection. Those are the ones who were resurrected at Christ's resurrection. And we have that recorded for us in Matthew. Uh, We have no record of them, actually. It does say that they appeared in Jerusalem, in the Holy City. But then there's no further reference of them in the book of Acts. We believe that they ascended to heaven with Jesus as first fruits of the resurrection, but with the reference to the one hundred and forty four thousand no that group is described Revelation chapter seven and it's really referring to a group of people at the end of time, sort of God's last day apostles taking the three angels' message to the world. So I'm not sure. I I don't think uh, we mentioned the 144,000. It might have been. I think I briefly
1: said that David was probably not one of those who was resurrected in Matthew chapter 27. Right. So that might be what you're referring to. And my reasoning being that after that resurrection, Peter says he's still dead and buried and his tomb is with us. Mm -hmm. So and then he goes on and says, if you read on in, in Acts a little further, it says David is not ascended into heaven. Right. So that I think so it was wasn't with that dunk. group that was resurrected.
2: Yeah. But that's not the 144,000. Right. So that is a different group. Yeah, we probably got the wires crossed there. All right. Well, thanks for your call, Richard, for calling clarifying that. We've got Christopher listening in California. Christopher, welcome to the program.
3: Uh, hello. Good evening, pastors. Evening. Um, yeah, I have a question regarding uh, music. Okay. Uh, I know that Christian rap is, is bad because of the beats that come from voodoo and all that uh but my question is what about christian acoustic style all
1: right you are you're asking one of the biggest questions uh i just wrote a book and i'm not saying this to promote a book it just i've been thinking a lot about it because i just finished a book it's just now printed talking about the christian in music and not i'm not an expert on music i did grow up in a home with my mother was a, a songwriter professional songwriter and I was exposed to a lot of uh, very talented musicians. Music is extremely powerful. Um, it's not required that Christians only sing Christian songs. In other words, there's nothing wrong with a Christian singing, you know, My Country Tis of Thee. It's a patriotic song. The The idea of music, or if you're, you're singing your baby a lullaby and putting your baby to sleep, around the world there's different kinds of music that evoke different uh, behaviors, behaviors, They're related with different events. If an army's going off to battle, you don't do romantic songs. You don't do lullabies. They usually do a march. There are march songs in the Bible. We've got 150 songs in the book of Psalms. And uh, some are prayers. Some are, uh, (laughs) what would you say, they're ballads. And some are uh, very sad and melancholy. David talks about, you know, he's feeling forsaken and he'd like to fly away like a bird. All different kinds but um, music is very powerful, and, and um, I would agree that rap music is something of a, um, a contradiction. And I, I said that once before, and I got uh, some angry phone calls. But, um, yeah, music's uh, very powerful, and draw, knowing where do you draw the line between what is right and wrong music. There's several things. You've got the occasion, you've got the style of music, what is the music doing to you physiologically? I used to go to rock concerts as a kid, and and it just sends you into a, a frenzy, and you know everything about it was diabolical. So that doesn't, uh, you know, help us draw closer to
2: God. So in other words, you're saying, Pastor, Doug, it's not just the words. I mean, you can have good words, but if it's the wrong kind of music, it sort of counteracts the words because yeah. it creates the wrong feeling, the wrong environment. And that's why we want words and music to and harmonize. And I've heard some
1: outstanding music, but the words were just it's bad. It's terrible. Yeah. yeah. Matter of fact, I've taken some music I've heard in the world, and I thought, that's a great song, and they ought to have Christian words for it. Mm-hmm. And I rewrote the song for my own entertainment with Christian words. So, matter of fact, I, I'm not sure, but I heard that the um, A Mighty Fortress the melody that Luther chose was one that every German knew, but there were some other words in there. And Mm -hmm. he put Christian words to what he thought was a powerful melody.
2: And of course, that's what it's probably known for now, is that great hymn. All right, well, thank you for calling, Christopher. We got uh, Cornelia listening in Kentucky. Cornelia, welcome to the program.
3: Hello, I have a question in regards to your first amazing fact study guide. Okay, question eight asks, question about evolution and it said that evolution has a strong tenet of communism
1: the communist governments both in china and in russia and i've preached in both countries um, one of the foundational teachings is that uh, is evolution they don't believe in god they kind of resist freedom of religion and the whole thing is based about, about that government is you know really the god (laughs) that you're supposed to worship Mm -hmm. and everyone's supposed to, you know, put in a common pot for uh, the the government.
2: Well, I think also, you know, it's almost logical that uh, as a child goes to school and you begin to wonder, why am I here? Where am I going? How did I get here? What's the meaning of life? Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, if you're growing up in a Christian environment, well, the Bible can answer those questions for you and they give you good answers. But if you're trying to remove the Bible from society and you're trying to have everyone be controlled by a centralized government or a philosophy, uh, you need something else to answer those questions Mm -hmm. of why are we here, where are we going, where do we come from? And of course evolution then is used to answer that. So if you go to a government school in China, for example, the only option that's given is the reason you're here is because of evolution. And unfortunately, even in a lot of Christian countries today, we've got the same thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, and I hope that helps a little bit, Cornelia, with your question. Yeah, foundational to evolution is, um, or foundational to communism, I should say, is evolution. You hear the music. We're just taking a break, friends. We'll be back with more Bible questions in a moment.
0: Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly.
4: Amazing Facts offers some of the best Christian resources for all ages.
0: We hope our products will enrich your life and your walk with the Lord. Life requires daily wisdom, and now you can expand your understanding in Wisdom for Life.
2: Pastor Doug's new 31-day devotional, based on the 31 chapters from the Book of Proverbs, written by King Solomon.
0: Get yours today by calling 800-538-7275 or visit afbookstore.com.
4: Have you always wanted to be a Bible expert, but never knew where to start? Are you searching for answers that will bring you joy, peace, and fulfillment? Then you'll love the Amazing Facts, Storicals of Prophecy Bible Study Experience, now available in 18 languages, featuring 24 easy-to-read lessons. The Storicals are packed with Scripture and step-by-step guidance that will give you absolute confidence about what the Bible actually says about the Second Coming, the Rapture, the Antichrist, and the Mark of the Beast. You'll also get the truth about hell and the afterlife, and practical insight about grace, salvation, and how to truly live like Jesus. Even better, it's absolutely free at storicals.org. So don't miss out Get started on your Bible study adventure today at storicals.org. Are you wondering what lies ahead in human history? Landmarks of Prophecy offers clear answers to your most pressing questions. Presented by Pastor Doug Batchelor, Landmarks of Prophecy is a video Bible study adventure designed for today's audiences. Presenting the landmark themes of the Bible in a compelling way, giving you knowledge to face the future with confidence. Start your epic Bible study adventure with Landmarks of Prophecy today by calling 800-538-7275 or by visiting afbookstore.com.
0: You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live.
1: Welcome back, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live. If you've tuned in somewhere along the way, this is a live, international, interactive Bible study. And we are not going to hesitate. We'll be going back to the phones here. I do want to remind you about the Panorama of Prophecy program that is coming in um, oh, five days, four mm-hmm. days, five days. Friday night we begin, and it'll run from October fifteenth through November 14th We're going to be covering 25 presentations that'll help us understand the most important uh, high points of Bible prophecy and even Christian foundational
2: teachings. And of course, if you're just joining us, we mentioned at the beginning of the program that next Sunday evening, instead of doing our regular Bible Answers Live, we're actually going to be tuning in to the Panorama Prophecy. So you don't want to miss that. Next Sunday, 7 o'clock Pacific time, we're going to be broadcasting. The time will be a little different. It'll go from Mm -hmm. 7 until 8.30 on social media, AFTV, but you'll actually be able to participate in that special series. That's right.
1: All right, with with no further ado,
2: who's lined up? All right, we've got John. John is listening in uh, Washington. John, welcome to the program. Hi,
3: good evening, gentlemen. Thank you so very much. It's been quite a long time, since so I've had a chance to speak with you, and uh, I'm blessed. Hope you are, too.
1: Well, thank you. Appreciate your call and your question.
3: Okay, so my question is, uh, I'm... I, I, I have been keeping the Sabbath for quite a long time. And uh, I speak with a lot of my friends who still attend church on Sunday. And the thing that they always hit me with, and I start talking about the Sabbath, they always say, well, Paul never said anything about obeying the law. Paul always talks about having faith. And so you look in Romans chapter 4, and, and, you know, verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, and Paul just emphasizes faith. In fact, even later on in, in Romans, he says the, the Jews were cut off because of unbelief. So Paul keeps hammering, believe, faith, believe, faith. Where does Paul ever say obedience? Because that's the one thing that I'm trying to get my Sunday friends sure. to understand is, it's not just faith, it's obedience. You've got to obey in order to be saved. But Paul doesn't say it anywhere.
1: Well, let's look here at Romans chapter 2, verse 13. Now tell me if this sounds clear. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified.
2: Now, which verse are you looking at, Pastor? Um, Romans chapter 2, verse 13. Romans 2, verse 13. Yeah, I'm
1: just going back a couple of chapters. And then Paul says in Romans chapter, is it 7? Where he says, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. We establish the law. We establish the law. What shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid and sin is the transgression of the law.
2: Now, of course, the confusion that uh, we need to clarify here in the verse is that when Paul uses the word law, the law is not always referring to the Ten Commandments. There is the law of Moses. And, of course, that was the issue that Paul was facing in his day. There were Jewish Christians that were encouraging the Gentile believers or telling them that in order for them to be saved, they had to follow the laws given by Moses, which Mm -hmm. had to do with circumcision, which had to do with sacrifices, various feasts, feast days. And Paul is saying no, you don't have to follow that law. But he's not saying you don't want to follow the Ten Commandment law because the Ten Commandment law defines what right and wrong is. So there's a difference in laws that we read about in the New Testament.
1: And my question would always be, um, is Paul saying that it's okay to kill? Of course not. Is is Paul saying it's okay to worship idols? No. He says idolaters will be in the lake of fire. Mm. Is Paul saying that it's okay to commit adultery? No. He says adulterers will not be saved. He says, do not be deceived, and either fornicators or adulterers or, and he goes through this whole litany of sins. People that break the law, he says, will not inherit eternal life. He's very clear about that. So if you point these verses, these people to these verses. Now, let me give you something else to think about before we uh, move past this. You look in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, I think it starts with verse 15, he said, uh, "As our beloved, I'll tell you what. Instead of my trying to quote it and risk misquoting it, I'm going to read it to you directly. Go to Second Peter chapter three. Let me see what verses is here. Um, yeah, verse fourteen, verse fifteen. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written you, as also in all his epistles." speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand." (laughs) Few people say that James or Mark or Peter are hard to understand, but Paul was very educated and he went deep because he was trying to reach the Romans and the Greeks with their philosophy. He said, some things are hard to understand, which those who are untaught and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with the rest of the Scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness and be led away with the error of the lawless. So the issue was, they said, some people take Paul's writings and try and make it sound like it's okay to be lawless. Don't make that error. Paul is not saying that. He's just, he was prioritizing salvation by faith for the Jews who are trying to tell the Gentiles, now you've got to keep the law of Moses. Mm -hmm. And this is a big battle in Acts chapter 15. They had a whole Jerusalem council saying, all right, let's spell it out. What is it that the Gentiles need to observe?
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, Pastor Doug, we got a book. It's called Does God's Grace Blot Out the Law? And it deals with this very subject. It's not a book that we offer very often, but it's a great book. And we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. Mm -hmm. Again, the number for that is 800-835-6747. And just ask for the book. It's called, Does God's Grace Blot Out the Law? And we'll be happy to send it to anyone in North America. If you're listening outside of North America, make sure you go to the Amazing Facts website. You'll be able to read it for free right Mm -hmm. there online. Thanks for your call, John. We're going to see if we can get a few more in. We've got Susie listening in Colorado. Susie, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, I have always believed that from creation, the Holy Spirit has been with us, and He convicts us and draws us. But when I go to Acts eight sixteen, I don't understand because it says the Holy Spirit had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, do we need to have a special laying on of hands to get the Holy Spirit? Great
1: question. I'm so glad you asked that question because uh, people often get confused. Uh, I've heard people say, "Well, the Holy Spirit didn't come till Pentecost." Well, that's silly because you can read where. King David prays in Psalm 51, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And you read where the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. And and God's Spirit uh, hovered, hovered on the face of the waters right there creation in Genesis chapter 1. And the last words you read in the Bible, the Spirit and the Bride say come. The Spirit of God has been working in people's hearts all through human history. There was a special filling. The Spirit of God comes in different degrees. There was a special filling of the Holy Spirit that happened uh, at Pentecost because of Christ's sacrifice and his victory against the devil that uh, basically permission was um, provided to fill people with a, a fuller measure of the spirit than I think humanity had ever seen As in a group. Mm-hmm. There is actually a story in the Old Testament where the 70 elders went to the, before the Lord and God took his spirit from Moses and he put it upon them. And Elisha prayed for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. So the spirit of God in power has been working all through history. But a special measure, and that's what they're referring to, this baptism. That means an immersion in the Holy Spirit had not happened yet
2: and this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts seems to be connected with the proclamation of the gospel mm-hmm. Jesus had told his disciples that they were to take the gospel to the whole world well how are they going to do that well the Holy Spirit came with power and miracles took place mm-hmm. and the gospel was preached and people could hear the gospel preached in their own language so all kinds of wonderful things happened and the church was growing and more con- converts were coming to the church and they were being filled with the spirit and mm-hmm. they also would go out and share the gospel and I think that's what's been referred to here right. of course the Bible says says, know you not that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Well, if you don't have the Holy Spirit leading you to repentance, how are you going to come to a point yeah. of repenting of your sins? So we need the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is working on the hearts of people even now. Even the lost,
1: it says the Holy Spirit convicts them yes. of their sin. <laughs> as long as you haven't grieved away the Holy Spirit and committed the unpardonable sin, then yeah, God's Spirit's going to work. Now we have a a book that talks about our need of the Holy Spirit Yes, and we'll send you a free copy.
2: I was just looking at Pastor Doug it's a great book it's called Holy Spirit the Need and we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks the number again is 800 and it's 835-6747 you can ask for the book it's called The Holy Spirit the Need we'll send it to anyone in North America. We've got Andrea listening in Arizona Andrea welcome to the program.
3: Hi um, I've experienced what I think is maybe visions. And I know for sure dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, my family is a bit concerned about them though, as I was telling them and letting people know, cause I felt that on my heart that I should let them know and really just anybody. Um, but my question is, is, uh, how do you, how do you know it's from God? Um, Like, in other words, like, I do see scriptures, and he brings me to scriptures, and that's what makes me believe even more that it is God that's telling me these things, but how would you, I don't know how to explain it to people. No, that's a good question. I just don't know the answer. How do you know if
1: if a dream or vision does, you know, the Bible does tell us that God does use dreams and visions, and where is it, Pastor Ross and Joel 2? And it's repeated in Acts chapter 2, so I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your your uh, sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing yeah, now. Yeah, Joel
2: 2.28, it says, come to pass afterwards, I'll pour out of my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And then it even says, and on your maidens will pour out the spirit as well.
1: Yeah, so the idea that God has stopped speaking to people through dreams and visions, that's one of the ways he's communicated all through history. Uh, you know, you have dreams in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and, you know, God can communicate that way now. That doesn't mean it's, you know, it never replaces Scripture. And a dream, if a dream ever is telling you to do something that's contrary to Scripture, then it's suspect. Um, but, uh, and sometimes God will give you dreams, and He's really just trying to tell the individual, you know, I've, I, God gave me a dream that was really just between me and the Lord. He didn't want me to go tell the world. That just uh, impressed me that he's coming soon. It's like I saw Jesus coming in my dream. And uh, it just, I woke up and I just felt like the Lord was trying to say that, you know, need to be ready. Uh, Some people have had dreams and they weren't sure if it was a vision that they lost. And they were in fire burning. (laughs) And uh, I don't know, everybody's probably had a dream once that they were falling and they woke up. You ever have that dream? Mm -hmm, Sure did. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I remember when I was trying to stop smoking. I had gone a few weeks without smoking. I was feeling really good that I got it behind me and that I dreamed that I was tempted to smoke and I smoked and I woke up and realized it was a dream. I felt so bad in my dream that I started smoking again. I woke up and I was so thankful it was a dream and I've never smoked again. But the feeling, uh, the terrible feeling that I had gone back to it again after several failed attempts really helped me. And so God may speak to you individually, Andrea, um, You know if the Lord is, uh, he has something that maybe you want to share with other people, he'll let you know that plain enough. Mm -hmm.
2: And of course we always want to test everything by the word of God. Mm -hmm. We also need to recognize that dreams are not always from God as we have dreams sort of out of the multitude of the day's activities we often have dreams. And so...
1: Ecclesiastes.
2: Yeah, just because we have a powerful dream it doesn't necessarily mean it comes from God but uh, that's where we've got to test it with scripture. All right. Well, thank you for your call. We got Allie listening in Lincoln, Nebraska. Allie, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, pastors. Um, I had this question. Like, when people go to heaven, will they have wings like the angels? And I also got the other question that, um, you know how we are made in the image of God. Does the Holy Spirit also have like the image like God?
1: All right. Two questions. First about about the wings. There is a verse in Isaiah forty, verse thirty one. It says, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. Now, you do have this story in the Bible where Elijah ran before the king's chariot and he was not weary. God gave him some supernatural strength. Um, Some have wondered, is this a poetic term? Isaiah uses a lot of poetry. Or will we literally have wings? Uh, I'm inclined to think that they may not be wings like a stork or an eagle or a bird. But uh, God is going to give us some kind of wings or some ability to fly when needed. Um, Are there other verses you can think of?
2: You know, I'm thinking of that song, We Shall Soar to Worlds Unknown. Yeah, Rock of Ages. Yeah, Rock of Ages. So, you know, it's pretty clear that when Jesus comes, the Bible tells us that the righteous are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be some flying taking place there. But I don't think we'll necessarily need to rely upon wings in the sense of these wings keeping us flying or aloft otherwise we're going to fall to the we're ground. We're not going to
1: start sprouting
2: feathers. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but we will be able to travel. Obviously yeah. go to heaven, travel to other and worlds. And that's the
1: word that, you know, the only word they could use in the Bible to explain the ability to fly.
2: <laughs> the second part of the question, Pastor Doug, is what about the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit have a form like uh, the Father or the Son?
1: You know, the Holy Spirit sometimes will take on a form t- a- a- as just a metaphor. Uh, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it came with tongues of fire. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as wind in John chapter 3. Um, the Holy Spirit, I think Christ referred to it in John chapter 4, more like water mm-hmm. the, with the woman at the well. So, you know, it's it's a refreshing. When you go into the temple, there was a fire on the altar. There was water in the laver. These are symbols. And then there's incense that, you know, kind of is smoke is something sort of ethereal that
2: it could be a symbol of the Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism in the form of, of dove. I forgot that one. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, uh, and of course in Revelation, you have the seven burning lamps of God before the throne, Light. which is a symbol again of the Holy Spirit. So yeah. we don't have a description of the Holy Spirit in the form of the Father or the Son, but definitely the Holy Spirit is real and he is everywhere. He mm-hmm. is in the hearts and the minds of believers all the time guiding. So it's one of those aspects of of. Uh, The Godhead. That's uh, kind of difficult for us to comprehend. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, thanks for your call. We have uh, Yvonne listening from Mexico. Yvonne, welcome to the program.
3: Hi, hello. Um, My question is, I eat a bread that they make. My my question is that they make a bread in the day of the death, Uh so they can eat and they offer to the dead people and once i tried to eat it to curiosity i was trying to try to eat it i i definitely eat it because i wanted to try to know what it tastes like curiosity yeah and i something tells me don't eat that bread because it's offered for the dead people for right. the deceased people right. you know day of the dead
1: yeah Dia del should i
3: should I
1: eat that? Well, you know, I, the very fact you're asking that question, I think, is is um, an indicator that the Holy Spirit might be saying, you know, if this bread is specifically for uh, something that's made as an offering to the dead, uh, you know, and you're not starving, I want to eat it. Um, it's, uh, you know, you know, they talk about this in the Bible where they had meat that was offered to idols, but it was sold to everybody. Um, and it wasn't necessarily associated with uh, worshiping an idol. It's just every animal that was sacrificed, they did it in front of an idol. Um, I wouldn't, uh, I don't know what you think, Pastor, wrong. It just seems like it, the D- day of the dead is like communicating with the dead ancestors and it's filled with skeleton, something like Halloween. And I don't think that Christians should support that. And um, yeah, I Absolutely. don't even need Halloween candy. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I think we want to make sure that we're, we're, following christ uh, the bible's about hope it's about life it's not about death and uh you know, we want to focus on the hope and the life that we have in christ yeah all right well thanks for Thanks, call.
1: yvonne good to talk with you and call again sometime
2: we've got ricky listening in new york ricky welcome to the program how you doing good and your question tonight
3: so my question is um god told adam and eve do not eat from the tree Mm -hmm. Or you will surely die that was a warning Mm
1: -hmm.
3: and the question is if if he can warn them about the tree how come he didn't warn them about Satan or the snake
1: well I I don't think that they knew that the devil was going to um, inhabit or possess a serpent I think God had warned them that uh, there was evil in the universe he wanted to spare them that evil and he said you will be safe as long as you don't eat from that tree The one place where the devil could tempt them was around that tree. And God said, stay away from it. I've given you all kinds of good trees to eat. So what you read there in Genesis is probably not the only thing that God said to Adam and Eve. I'm sure there were long conversations. That's why the God walked with them in the cool of the day. You read later in chapter 3. So uh, I think they had been warned that there was a war uh, and there's a fallen angel that was uh, out roaming around causing problems. And as long as they stayed away from that tree, but God did give the devil one opportunity to campaign for his government at that tree. And, um, you know, Adam and Eve were given the freedom to make a choice.
2: Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thanks for your call. You know, we do have a uh, a study guide. It's called, Did God Create a Devil? It talks about the fall of Lucifer and explains a little bit about that first temptation that and took place in the Garden of Eden.
1: He can also watch the Cosmic Conflict DVD right. for free, uh, probably YouTube, it's been up for a few years now, the whole thing.
2: Yeah. Cosmic if like Conflict. If you'd like to get that study guide, it's called the God Created a Devil? The number to call is 800-835-6747 and we'll be happy to send that to anyone mm-hmm. in North America. We've got Grace listening in uh, New Jersey. Grace, welcome to the program. Hi,
3: Pastor Ross and hi, Pastor Doug.
2: Hi, Hello. thank you for calling. Any yeah, question?
1: I'm glad
3: that <laughs> I'm excited that I can speak to you. Okay, uh, I have a question regarding uh, Genesis, it's on Genesis chapter 3 mm-hmm. uh, verse 16 There's uh, where it says your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So my husband always said that he it says uh, when, uh, where it says your desire shall be for your husband, he, he thinks that it It means that the woman is desiring to overthrow their husband.
1: Ah, okay. Well, you know, for one thing, uh, this is a difficult verse. I was uh, part of a theological committee that went into great depth studying this verse. And uh, it does seem to say that there would be, you know, because of sin, here it's talking about some of the curses connected with sin. Uh, childbirth would be more difficult, plowing and farming the ground would be diff- more difficult and there was going to be even tension between the husband and the wife and God said, look, uh, the man should be the spiritual leader of the husband. That doesn't mean a dictator but he was to provide spiritual leadership, Christ-like leadership in the home and uh, it, it does seem to indicate from the original, it says your di- desire shall be to be over your husband but he should rule over you. And again, these words rule, you think about a king, they're not the best coming from Hebrew to English. It just means that he should have the leadership. God made men to be protectors of their wives. You know, mm-hmm. Traditionally, they're mm-hmm. bigger and stronger.
2: Yep, their role is to provide safety for the home. You know, the word husband is sort of the house band to hold home together, provide for the home. Unfortunately, some husbands or some men don't live up to that high calling. But um, that's the original design that God created there at the very beginning. Yeah, and
1: you know, God never intended. There are some churches that use this verse and a few others to make it sound like, you know, women are to be uh, slaves to their husbands. Hmm. Um, But you know, in our home I make the bed and I wash dishes and this week I did laundry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so i mean we should it, it's really to be servant leaders is the best description husbands and it, we believe in something that's called complementarianism meaning that the gifts that god give men and women are to complement each other but they're certainly distinct men are not designed mentally or physically as well as women to nurture children mm-hmm. but there are things that men are designed for uh that are better uh, in some areas in other words so We have our our strengths, and uh, God outlines that in His
2: Word. Okay, well, thank you for your call. We've got uh, Matthew listening in Canada, Toronto, Canada. Matthew, we have just a few minutes left. You're on the air.
3: Hi, Pastor Ross and Doug. Good evening. Evening. Yeah, my question is about the Last Supper with the disciples. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes over the years, you know, it's been taught that when you're taking communion you shouldn't go unworthily. So I want to ask, was uh Judas worthy when he took the Lord's supper? Can oh. he sold him out after
1: That's uh, right.
3: A piece of the good good question. Can you explain for me, please?
1: Yeah, we'll do our best. We we've only got about a minute to do it, but uh, you know, Christ does say in first Corinthians is it first Corinthians where he says, If you eat it in an unworthy manner, then you're you're eating uh maybe second Corinthians, you're eating condemnation unto yourself um judas certainly did not have the right spirit even though jesus washed his feet one thing we learned from this is that even though jesus knew that judas heart wasn't right he allowed him mm-hmm. to participate
2: that's first corinthians chapter 11 verse 27 if 11 27 yeah
1: and so uh, and he that eats or drinks in an unworthy manner drinks destruction to themselves mm-hmm. it's a dangerous thing what does that mean no one feels worthy It really means that if you come to the communion table, you ought to be willing to forgive and to love others and to have a humble attitude. Um, And if you're asking for Christ's mercy, you should be willing to extend that to others as well. But um, yeah, come with a, a, and really be genuinely accepting the grace of the Lord. You know, Pastor Ross, I don't think we have time in this broadcast for another question right now, but we're gonna take a, a break in a moment. We're going to come back for some rapid-fire questions. These are bonus questions that people have sent in via the Internet. And so don't go away. We have to sign off for our satellite station right now. But everyone else that's listening, you're going to hear us come back in just a moment or two. We're going to rapid-fire go through a number of Internet questions. So we'll be right
0: back. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California.
2: Well, Pastor Doug, we're going to take some of our internet questions that have come in. And for those of you who have stayed by to be a part of this program, if you would like to send a Bible question uh, through the internet, you can just email to balquestions at amazingfacts.org. Just balquestions.org. At amazingfacts.org. All right, Pastor Doug. Here we go. We're going to start with a tough question. A coworker is gay and has invited me to his wedding. Is attending the wedding showing the love of God?
1: You know, in a situation like that, uh, I think the way you show the love of God is by putting God first. And by your appearance, it might appear that you are endorsing something that the Bible speaks of as a sin and an abomination. And, uh, you know, I know it's politically incorrect to say that, but I can't change the Bible. If people Mm -hmm. have a problem, they're going to have to take it up with God, and I didn't write the Bible. So, uh, yeah, I I think, you know, you want to show love and support for people, but by attending a wedding, you are basically endorsing a covenant that they're making to get married. And if you believe the Bible teaches that marriage should be between a man and a woman and not between two women and two men, your attendance could send the wrong message.
2: Okay, next question. If the Bible is supposed to be easy to understand, why is it so hard to read?
1: You know, there are parts of the Bible that are very easy to read, and you might be running into some hard parts. But you know, where Jesus said, "Love your enemies," that's simple. There's a lot of real simple statements uh, that are in the Bible, and I would say that's why the Bible is such a bestseller. Is it appeals to people of all different intellects and all different ages? There are stories in the Bible that kids understand, so. And the more you read it, the better you understand it, and you'll just get deeper and deeper all the time.
2: Okay, another question that we have. What do prayers do if God is going to act anyway? Why do we pray?
1: Well, you know, Jesus already knows what our sins are, but the Bible says confess them. Why? Well, because we, we confess our sins. We're acknowledging something happens in us that it's wrong, and we're giving God permission to change us. Uh, now, that would just be prayers of confession. But... Um, whenever we ask for something, uh, God can do for us things when we ask that otherwise will not happen. Um, The devil claims this world is his own. We need to invite God to intervene and to answer our
4: prayers.
2: Absolutely. Well, Pastor Doug, we want to thank all of those who joined us today for Bible Answers Live. We want to remind you that starting on the 15th of October, that's a week from now, Friday, Join us for our Panorama of Prophecy series. It's going to be broadcast live. Also next Sunday evening, it'll be broadcast on Bible Answers Live. So I hope to see
0: you then. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time to take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast. Call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org. Tune in next time for more Bible Answers Live, honest and accurate answers to your Bible questions.